Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Creating Connections That Matter for Mental Health Professionals. Welcome. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for finding me. Um, I really, really love the fact that more of you are finding that what we're talking about here is resonating with you. And today, hmm, I'm going to have a little look at how professional labels get in the way of connections and what you, me, us as a collective can do about it. So, you know, whether you're a psychologist, a psychiatrist, mental health social worker, mental health OT, counsellor, or working in a different capacity in the mental health field, we share something in common. An inbuilt desire to help others improve their mental health. Whatever actually drove you, whether it was personal experiences, whether it was, you know, a family experience, wherever your calling came from, you have found yourself in the mental health field. And you're probably sitting there going, what on earth is going on? <laughs> so um, not many people, you're in a bit of an exclusive club here because not many of us know how it actually feels to sit in acceptance with another human being. They're probably GPs and priests, um, but not too many. To encourage people to share with you their deepest thoughts, the ones that keep them up at night, that stop them from forming relationships, loving others, loving themselves. And then through that deepest caring and understanding, help them lead better and more fulfilling lives. You and me, we're part of an exclusive club. So you whoopie do you go we've got all this in common we want the same thing we should all be holding hands and singing kumbaya around the campfire shouldn't we i mean we're, we're loving caring people that's why we're here oh dear wouldn't that be great but mm, no so let's have a little look at labels i'll share a bit of my experience and um Stay with me because we are going to go through a couple of steps to help take some of the division, which we're about to look at, out and some connection in. All right, well, let's go. So I don't know about you, but ever since I graduated, I've had a love-heart relationship with my label. Even before I became a psychologist, I was like, I didn't want to become a psychologist until I had some lived life experience so I was relatively late to the field and then I was like oh being a psychologist I mean that's such a huge title and everything that goes with it the expectations of what I can do the judgment from others to be this perfect human being but you know I got there and I graduated and um I felt so uncomfortable for so long you know probably years saying what I was. Um, people would say, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, you know, I'm a, psych I'm a psychologist. And I'm, they're like, oh, I didn't know what I expected, but it was so hard just to get those words out. Um, and then a little bit further down the track, when I graduated, um, bear with me, those of you who are not psychologists, I'm using my example because that's what I know the most. And, but I know within, you know, your fields, there are also divisions and political things impacting. Okay. 
So I graduated around the, around the time Medicare rebates came in. So I never practiced as a private psychologist without there being Medicare rebates. And I went straight from graduation into someone else's private practice. Mm -hmm. So we all have different pathways. That's just what happened to me. And I was um, employed as a subcontractor. And I remember having conversations with the person whose practice it was around the new lot of labels that were coming in. It's endorsements around educational and developmental because that was my, um, my master's. It was an education and developmental master's. But what happened was to be able to call myself an educational and developmental psychologist, I had to be endorsed. Now, endorsement without getting too technical, is um, it involves extra hours, specific supervision under specific people. Now, some people who got in <laughs> at the right time didn't need to do all that. They were grandfathered in. But the grandfathering came in as I was nearing the end of my thesis and I had three young children um, um, and you know sleep difficulties and everything else and there might have been information floating around, but if there was, it went over my head until it was too late. So for those of us who missed out for whatever reasons on the grandfathering, there was this whole other stuff you had to do just to take on a label. So the conversation I had with the person whose practice it was, was in their um, interpretation, they didn't think it was going to be worthwhile. So I've gone okay, I'm going to be guided by you. You're the expert. I'm a new grad. I have a husband who's, you know, just um, joined the police and I have three young kids and this is too much for my brain to process. Okay, so let's fast forward a few, <laughs> a few years and within the psych community, psychology community, there's a lot of division. There's a lot of division among clinical psychologists other types of endorsed psychologists and general psychologists, of which I am. So even though I'm trained in education and developmental psychology, I cannot use those terms. So I might say I'm a child psychologist, I'm an educational psychologist, um, you know, I can play around with those words. So at the moment, this particular endorsement doesn't mean a lot. Where it matters so much in our profession are the clinical psychologists versus because it's kind of like that everyone else and that happens because of a difference in rebates so if you have someone let's take anxiety for example with anxiety and they go and see a clinical psychologist they will get back roughly forty dollars more a session from the government than a non-clinical so you can see from a purely business point of view that it's like if i'm in private practice and i can my clients get more rebate back. Why wouldn't they want to come to me when I can provide the same service as another psychologist? So this is an example of one of the problems we're living with, with the divisions within particular streams of the mental health professional. And I know if you're a counsellor, you have so many pathways to becoming a, a counsellor. Um, it's, you know, I, I'm not pretending to even be across it. So we have divisions within communities. Then we have job descriptions. We have divisions in how 
jobs are applied for. So, for example, I know because I've seen um, I've seen counsellors talk about this in particular groups, is that there will be a position where the job itself involves counselling, but they're asking for psychologists, OTs, social workers, everyone but counsellors to apply. Now, not going to go into too many reasons why this may be. I think one of them is that they want um, professions to be APRA registered. However, I've seen similar things with jobs, for example, assessing children, which is what educational and developmental psychologists tend to specialise in, um, and they've wanted clinical psychologists. And you're like, well, hey, hang on. What about wanting those psychs who are specifically trained to do this? And, it's a, you know, we can get so sucked into all the inequity that keeps being posted out there. Then we have the uninformed general public. And if you've ever read a press release where they've talked about mental health professionals, I'm sure you've picked up on inadequacies. Right? They just do not get their facts right. Whether it's about, you know, the amount of training that's involved or qualification, basically anything, you name it, they will get it wrong. So then we have uninformed peers. Do you know what the difference is between a mental health social worker, a counsellor, a psychologist? Just, just for example, let's just pick those three. Because it's not always easy. One of the reasons I became a psychologist and not a social worker or a counsellor, I wanted to do assessments. Um, that, that was a primary reason. So I, being a psychologist, I have access to so many different types of assessments I can do. And that was my main reason. But I'll just give you a couple of examples of the differences. So mental health social workers and mental health, I'm going to take that back, mental health nurses get lower rebates back from Medicare However, you don't need a referral to get a Medicare rebate from a mental health nurse. And if you have more than one person in the session, everyone gets a separate rebate. Now, that's different from any other mental health professional. Now, counsellors, you don't get rebates, Medicare rebates. However, um, you can do EAP and other sorts of counselling work. But in terms of Medicare rebates, you're not eligible. However, then you also don't have the restrictions that go with the rebates. And psychologists, I've already touched on the differences between clinical and non-clinical rebates. So that's just a couple of differences. Um, let me know if any of that surprised you because I know when I found out about mental health nurses, I've gone, huh? <laughs> How's that fair? And this is something you will hear coming up a lot. That's not fair. How come they can do that? Why can they do that? Why does that exist? And where does this get us? Division, judgment, ego-driven decisions made by professional bodies. We get engaged in justification decisions. Oh, well, I, I get the bigger rebate because, or we're entitled to rebates because, or, and it's like, it's exhausting. It is so energy zapping. We talk about burnout in the mental health profession and I tell you, this is one of the things, this division. 
you know, maybe I've gone through this, you've noticed in yourself an internal dialogue about what's fair and what's not fair and how it works in your um, particular part of the mental health profession. Okay. Just to expand a little bit more on labels. Because mm -hmm. what we're talking about, labels. Now, when I do a diagnostic assessment, we have to, there has to be proof before we apply a label. And the reason we do an assessment, the reason why there's a label is to help with understanding, help with understanding the client, their abilities and their functioning. So I can provide appropriate recommendations to improve their life, whether that's home life, school life, work life. And to ease, to help communication, we use labels as shorthand language. So if this child has dyslexia, this may, normally means blah, blah, blah. This child has anxiety, you can expect blah, 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 that sort of thing. If this person is a domestic abuse survivor, these are the things you're probably likely to see. So it's shorthand. However, the problem with the mental health profession and the labels that we have as mental health professionals is a lot of the shorthand's hard to understand unless you really, really know it. So these labels do define you. They place restrictions and boundaries. Sorry. <laughs> they place boundaries like restrictions and freedoms around what you can and can't do. If you are not a psychologist, you cannot administer a cognitive assessment. Simple as that. If you are not a mental health nurse, you can't prescribe medication. You can't write out a, um, a script and give it to your client. Simple as that. If you're accepting a Medicare rebate, there are certain things you have to do legally. Mm -hmm. So, yes, they're helpful, but there's a limit to their usefulness. And when we talk in the shorthand of labels, there is a real risk of losing the nuances and humanity and to stop seeing each other as people first. All right. So... Stay with me. I'm hoping all that's made sense. I'm just about to go through a couple of steps that can take us, help take us out of division and towards connection because that's the aim. You didn't go into this profession and I didn't go into this profession to fight with each other. I want support. I want caring. I want connection. I, mean, I don't want to be burnt out and isolated from other mental health professionals. That makes no sense. Okay. So... All right, so I've had a little bit of look at the problems, some of the problems we've experienced and how I felt um, about that. And let's go straight into what you can do about it. So one, I did two things personally about it. Plus I want to share some advice that someone gave me, which is one of the best pieces of advice I've received in my um, employment, my working life, my <laughs> solo entrepreneurship. First, I did create the VPNG, Victorian Psychologist Networking Group, because I wanted a safe space, non-judgmental space for psychs. So one of the rules was when you come into this group, I don't care what sort of psychologist you are, I care what you do, where are your interests, where are your passions, what type of people do you love to help? Um, and for many years, I was actively involved with local mental health professional networking groups. 
which encourage cross-referrals and understanding. And we even had some GPs in some of the groups. So it's truly an inclusive group. If you work in the mental health field, come along, share, discuss, get to know each other, do case studies, presentations, et cetera, et cetera. So two very practical ways of um, doing this. Now, I'm not saying you, you know, have to go and make your own group or anything, but let's have a look at the best bit of advice I've received. And that was, and I'm going to credit, first of all, Gerda Muller with it, but I've heard it in other um, forums as well, to focus on what you do well or want to do well, not on your label. By all means, I encourage you to campaign, agitate, put your views forward in a political sense and to work for change, to work to squish inequities. I remember I wrote a submission to one of the federal mental health committees quite a few years ago now. And for a long time, when you searched Kim Dunn psychologist in Google, that was the first thing that came up. <laughs> and I just thank God that I actually spent a bit of time on it and effort and I'm quite proud of it as a submission. So just remember, if you do a public submission, they're public. So I'm definitely all about standing up for what you know and believe to be fair and fighting for it. However, I encourage you to compartmentalise it when you're working and communicating with other mental health professionals. Okay, because there's been way too much hurt involved in trying to put other mental health professionals in their boxes. So these are the five things I encourage you to do. First, See the other mental health professional as a person first. See their abilities. Three, understand your abilities, your passions, what drives you, who you want as clients, where you do well, and speak to those. So remember I said how I started off saying, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm a psychologist. Now I might stand up and say, as I did it, a brief, very brief speech. I did a networking event. I help people stop time. Yeah, that gets your attention, doesn't it? <laughs> Through teaching mindfulness, focus, awareness. I help you slow time down. Isn't that much more interesting than, hey, I'm a psychologist? Okay. Um, point four, make referrals to the most appropriate mental health professional you know. That can help with a presenting problem. Okay, so how can I help this client? How can I help my client the best? How can I help this person the best? Who do I know that is going to work best for them? Okay, if they must have a rebate or if they want to do an alternative um, counselling therapy that is not rebated, if you think they um, or if they're on medication or they may need a script, these things may inform what type of mental health profession you do end up sending them to referring them to but no let's not make that the priority point five notice and compartmentalize that it's not fair talk i had to do it takes practice it's not fair why should they get paid more to do what i'm doing all right so this comes back to knowing yourself staying in your lane, working on your niche. I know, and there is that word again, but it's so true. When you're promoting yourself to clients, if you're a 
private psychologist, this is what I do. If you're not a private psychologist, if you're working in an organisation, it's like, this is still, this is what I'm great at. Let me do this. It's a different fight not to have yourself pigeonholed in that particular case. So what's possible if you follow these steps? Well, you can probably guess the first thing I'm going to say, which is deeper, more authentic connection with other mental health professionals. And doesn't that sound fantastic? And a greater understanding and promotion of your own abilities. Look beyond your own label and towards what you actually do and what you want to do. So deeper connection with yourself. What's going to happen if you don't? If we just keep getting stuck into these label wars? Well, you're going to get stuck in the stereotypes. Um, that's not really helpful to you or your clients and to how you feel about your work and to avoiding burnout. Because part of it, burnout comes when you're feeling underappreciated and that what you're doing is not worthwhile. And the other thing that's possible if you don't make this shift is continued division. We're just making these political cracks and the divide between ourselves bigger. Okay, let's get to the last final things which I like to leave you with, which is a couple of tips and a journal prompt and an invitation to connect. All right, so firstly, my tip, spend some time reflecting on what you want to be known for. No, reflect on what you do well or what you would love to do well and be known for. One way to think of it is in a group, what do you want to be tagged for? If someone puts up a question, what question do you want to be tagged in as being known as the go-to person? Um, and my second tip, because you're getting two today, examine your network. Is it balanced or is it biased? Are you holding on to people and groups on Facebook and Instagram due to ego or status, or would it actually work for you? Something to think about. Okay. So related to this, just a couple of journal prompts or guiding questions. What skills do you need in your referral network? Do you have them? Do they exist? What do you do well? And thirdly, what do you need help with? And who might be able to help you with that? And finally, because we have covered a lot of ground today, I would love to know what you think. These are my invitations to connect. First, declutter. Now, when you're going through the decluttering process, I invite you to have a look at the seven-step digital detox program, which kind of needs to be reworded because it's a bit more of a digital world overhaul because we're looking at decluttering um, first and foremost before detoxing and then prioritising and being online mindfully. All right. And for the month of January, January, as a reminder, in turn for a review or a share or recommendation, I'm actually going to gift you that program. It's valued at $47, um, seven steps, and it's yours for free. All you got to do is leave me a true, authentic review do not leave me one if you do not like this podcast. Then it is useless to me. It's meaningless. It's like me not wanting to cheat at games. You know, my kids will be hide, hiding their cards from me. And I'm like, I don't want to see your cards. Because if I have to cheat to win, I don't want to win. That's not how I roll. 
Um, yeah, and if that's not your deal, if you do not, you are not in need of a digital world overhaul, first of all, congratulations. <laughs> you are one of the few out there. Um, secondly, check out my other um, programs and things I have to offer. There's a lot of free stuff there as well as a couple of really low um, low cost things that you might be interested in. Or send me a message and I'm happy to help you with your journey of this connection. Okay. The details are in the show notes and you can also message me on any particular social media because I'm there, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, the Holy Trinity. Oh, I hope that wasn't blasphemous. Do you know, I just, um, I ended a post that I was in on social media because someone used blasphemy. Um, I hope I just haven't done it then. Anyway, I didn't mean it like that. And I do apologize. Once again, thanks for listening. And I would love to hear your thoughts on structural isolation and division in the mental health profession. Until next time, take great care of yourself and I will talk to you later. Bye, guys.